0: Camille has an immensely varied background doing economics, philosophy, um, setting up five multi-built, like five hedge funds, several of which were multi-billion dollar funds, um, also a long-standing um, contributor within the areas of philanthropy and social impact investing, including as a, a founding um, a philanthropist for the Global Priorities Institute, of which I'm a part. Um, and so um, first question then, yeah, your career has been very varied. Um, uh, incorporating research, finance, philanthropy um, and other areas too what kind of ties all of this together
1: yeah so as I was saying I think um, one theme that I think runs through my interests uh, is is what is human well being and that's by its very nature a multidisciplinary uh, approach Um, you need to understand the brain so That's why I was very interested in um, neuroscience. Um, Because you need to understand the brain's uh, reward mechanisms, the neuroscience of emotions. Uh, You need to understand human biology, um, homeostasis, health, metabolism, um, uh, philosophy, obviously, you know, how should we uh, uh, act. um, And psychology, economics, because ultimately what we want is to have a flourishing society with flourishing individuals. So human well-being, I think, is the common theme.
0: Okay. So then, okay, so the common theme is um, human well-being, what makes for a good life. What's your kind of overarching view um, or answer to that question, your broad kind of philosophical framework then?
1: Yeah. So I think I am slightly broader than, uh, I, I mean, in terms of a the theory of well-being, I take a slightly broader perspective than, than hedonism, for example. Um, I I, I probably have uh, this kind of um, objective list type of approach. Um, And ultimately, I kind of have um, Aristotelian leanings when it comes to human well-being, when it comes to uh, a theory of the uh, potential value. Um, But, because I think it's got a lot of um, rich architecture, you know, cultivating dispositions and cultivating your capacities, cultivating neural networks towards the good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but when it comes to the moral values, uh, I think I, you have to take an impartial perspective. So I end up being a consequentialist. Um, I guess the consequentialist with a broader theory of welfare mm-hmm. um, is the basic idea.
0: Yeah, and just to clarify, for those that don't know, what is a kind of Aristotelian conception of the good life compared to hedonism?
1: Yeah. So, so I think um, the, the Aristotelian um, human flourishing concept, you know, sometimes called eudaimonia, um, is, is, is 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 richer than just uh, pleasure. I mean, it's about developing um, uh, the right motivations, including moral motivations, um, and you end up with this kind of concept of. Um, of human flourishing of, of good life um, which incorporates many of the values like I mean uh, like you'd find on an objective list like not just pleasure but um, knowledge and accomplishments and uh, you know, richer, uh, deep human relations um, uh, as well as of course um, um, uh,
0: justice and,
1: uh, and other virtues.
0: Um, okay so a much kind of thicker conception of well-being and how does that interplay with EA, then? Right. So, um, yeah, what do you think that has for the question of what causes are most important, for example? Okay, that's, 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 a really,
1: that's really the kind of operative question. I think, you know, in a way, um, it doesn't – the, the impact is not as large as you might think because, um, because suffering, illness, uh, extreme poverty, death – these are things that um, destroy human flourishing. Um, and so I think in, in our current, you know, they're going to dominate. Um, the, I think even, even so until we, until we kind of sort out these things, get rid of these scourges, um, I think it makes no difference at all. Perhaps um, in the future it might. I mean, perhaps in the distant future, I think, uh, it might be different because, in the distant future, we might may have the possibility of um, we might want to, you know, it might make a difference whether we organise society on on the basis of of allowing um, uh, human flour- of, of, of having an environment which is conducive to human flourishing or uh, an environment which uh, is simply uh, designed to maximise pleasure.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you wouldn't be um, wouldn't be so excited about the hedonium shockwave where just everyone's in a perfect bliss state for the rest of eternity. You know,
1: the thing, thing is that, that um, it's,
0: it's interesting, you know, uh,
1: the experience machine. My, my, my view is in practice, um, uh, it's, it's just doesn't, it's not as robust. Yeah, okay. And, and I'm all in favour of pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I just think that um, <laughs> it's... It, <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> We've we weaved into a complex network yeah, okay. of... of um, where, where you know, lots of instrumental goods like virtues and things like that is gonna make it more robust. So pleasure for things that you would desire in a way that kind of you know, you developed yourself as, as, as a person doing the right things. For example, aiming yourself towards the good and in, in, including um, increasing the flourishing of others.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, that makes a lot of sense and um, I think we can on that, let's turn to kind of how that's then impacted your philanthropy and your kind of, uh, you know, impact investing as well. Um, and for those, you know, in the audience, as you answer questions, the member the kind of visible, um app, you can submit questions kind of as we go along. Um, so, okay, in terms of impact investing in philanthropy, you you know, you have been a major philanthropist, um, kind of for many years, uh, including before you encountered the ideas of effective altruism. So, can you tell us a bit about what were the sorts of things you were funding then? And how do you feel about those um, donations now?
1: Yeah. I, look, I mean, actually, as a kind of trained economist, i always had the view that, that um, my donations should have the kind of, you know, should be seeking to maximize marginal utility. And so in a way, I kind of already had um, implicitly some EA-friendly principles. For example, like not going into crowded areas. Um, uh, and I used to, uh, you know, some, some of the things that I, I, I used to uh, uh, do was um, funding um, schools for slum children in India, um, funding diabetes and obesity research, um, uh, some social finance initiatives. Um, and I think, you know, generally that's fine. But I, through talking to you and Toby Ord and Ben Todd, you know, I think at some stage I became kind of quite shocked at the idea that um, the average charity, you could, you could do two orders of magnitude better by, by, by funding a top charity compared to an average one. And, and that was just a shock. And so I think that's given, you know, I feel the moral weight of that now uh-huh. um, when I think about opportunities. Because, because uh, you know, I
0: was thinking about it before, but I thought, well, it's all very marginal, but it's not very marginal. Yeah, yeah. I think you're actually one of the few kind of most many big philanthropists have often, you know, they come into EA because they haven't made commitments in other areas before. Um, you're kind of one of the rare ex- ex- exceptions where you've like actually really pivoted kind of where your focus areas have been. Um, and one of those things has been to, um, you know being a founding donor to the Global Priorities um, Institute. So what was kind of some of your reasons behind that, thinking about that?
1: Yeah. Um, well, look, it's been a real um, uh, honour to be able to help to fund, you know, the Global Priorities Institute, because I think there is a really strong case to be made for that. Um, uh, there's also there's also a case against, which I'll come to and, that, you know, give you the kind of the tension and the calculus that you have to go through, um, but 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 the idea behind Global Priorities Institute is that if one can create a successful institute, that the institute will enhance the intellectual undergirdings of the EA movement, and um, and we already know that the EA movement. Center for Effective Altruism and many other organizations really make a difference in um, uh, attracting f- funds to the sectors and uh, uh, attracting funds and and um, pointing them to more effective uh, causes. So to my mind, there's a double leverage here. Mm-hmm. So if we can make the EA community more um, credible and, and give it the intellectual rigor, then it's going to Flow through to policymakers and really start affecting, uh, you know, the whole zeitgeist um, of, uh, of public policy, and that's a really strong case. But on the other hand, there's a kind of a case against which, which you know, which you have to, to worry because, um, which is that, well, what if that analysis is wrong? Um, uh, if it's wrong, then then it's not going to have a Big impact, but the real cost of that is that you know there has been perhaps a foregone donation of a million pounds to the AMF, right? And so there's a moral cost. <laughs> Opportunity, you know, there's a real. So you know, we have to make sure that the calculus is right. And happily, I think the expected utility calculus comes out in favour of the, mm-hmm. the, um, the
0: institute. Okay, and so. Um, Compare that then to kind of impact investing, which you've also done in the past. Like how do you think, how promising do you think impact investing is as a means of doing good? How does that compare to philanthropy, do you think?
1: Yeah, so I think um, social finance and impact investing is a really interesting area, and it's very hot at the moment, in uh, the last few years. Um, but I think there's a tension between finance first and impact first. You know, what, you know, what's the objective here? And um, and I think sometimes there is an arbitrage. So you can have your cake and eat it. And, uh, you know, people can get good expected returns and and um, and also have, have, have a big impact. But mostly, I think that there, you know, mostly the tra- there is a trade-off. Um, and, you know, it could be biting to a to, to greater or lesser extent. And if you do have this trade-off, then you have to, Kind of think through. Um, you know, what's the value of the subsidy to expected return, and that value of the subsidy to expected return. Then you have to say, well, if that was a pure donation, would it do more good? And so it's just about the calculations, to my view. I mean, I, you know, most of most of what I did was 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 impact first, sort of zero interest loans uh, to charity, and there you see, I think that, you know, I think there can be interesting value because, because sometimes there are um, market imperfections, quantity restrictions. Like for example, um, so, so, so impact lending, for example, could potentiate the donations that the charities already have and just make them more powerful. So you know, and that could be quite a big effect. Um, and the foregone interest would be much smaller than the potentiation of the existing donations. Mm-hmm. So there is an interesting, I mean, another area, another way that um, that impact investing can 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 be uh, beneficial is if it just brings a huge um, sum of capital to bear, uh-huh. um, much bigger than would would have been the uh, donation or the the, the um, implied subsidy value if given as a donation. And and um, so 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 my view is that you know you've got to do the calculations. However, I now think that. There's enough money in that area. It's it's very crowded. Any opportunities are already, you know, mostly being sought out because people are interested in, you know, uh, uh, financial return.
0: So actually, you're better off focusing on pure impact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's amazing how many impact investors I talk to who really really believe that you can get just a. Me- a market kind of financial return while having a really big impact, which just doesn't make any sense to me. It it doesn't make sense. Um, It doesn't make sense in equilibrium. There are
1: situations where there's such a disequilibrium that I'm sure... I mean, I'm not sure of the analysis, but maybe Mohammed Yunus, you know, that these early results that they got in Bangladesh, Mm -hmm. maybe they got
0: good financial returns and they did good. But I think that mostly there is a trade-off. And so, relatedly, then your hedge funds um, question from the audience—they were just about maximising financial return, is that right, rather than impact? Yeah. Mean, that was—that was, that was uh, yeah. you know, just just uh, uh, providing a service yeah, for the market. Okay. Um, okay. So, what then? Um, you know, the theme of the conference is kind of uh, intellectual exploration within effective altruism. Um, uh, what do you think are the most important kind of open questions within effective altruism? Things that we haven't resolved yet?
1: Yeah. So, I think that, to my mind, the biggest open question is the importance of the long-term future. Um, I think on many, but not all, philosophical views, um, the long-term future could actually completely dominate um, the current generation. And, And that's... And actually, I'm... I'm personally very swayed by that. I think that it really is very important. But you know, we really need to get this right because uh, there'll be lots of shifting of resources, so we need to, to think through. And, and and it's it's in a way how to deal with moral uncertainty. If we didn't, if it wasn't just so dominant in terms of the, the, the mathematics of it all, um, through the long, long-term future, it would be easier because you could make this the, these easier trade-offs. But but I do think that um, um, it's it's something that we need to think through and get yeah. right, and uh, uh, you know, and and hopefully um,
0: find the right balance. Okay, and I guess, kind of relatedly, is there anything can kind of asking from the audience? Anything you think is kind of going badly wrong in effective altruism, or um, yeah. mistakes so, that might be being made? So that's um,
1: you know. Yes, but it's inevitable um, because unintended consequences just abound in economics. I mean, if you look at welfare economics, that's exactly all, all, over, all over economics. That's just the way these things work. And what we have to do is we have to think through the issues very carefully and get as much evidence as possible so we can minimize these cases. Um, and, and you know, if you look at healthcare, um, you know, mistakes happen from time to time, but we want to learn from them and make sure that we have procedures in place to kind of minimise these things. And and just because mistakes happen, it doesn't mean that you don't treat. So we were chatting about this earlier, right? You know, it's sort of, is it right to have a Hippocratic oath, do no harm? Well, actually, no, it's not right because do no harm would imply infinite risk aversion, and that's just not rational.
0: Uh-huh. Um, okay, so then, uh, do you agree? I mean, of course, I agree. Yeah, I mean, uh, in practice, I think like it would be really, really reticent about like anything that does harm. If you're doing kind of well, ends justify the means reasoning, you're like you've probably gone astray. Um, but the idea of just like you know, some people then say no, the first moral principle should be do no harm, and then only within that. But then, then you end up doing absolutely nothing. In fact, you shouldn't. You should just kill yourself because anything you do has some chance of of harming other people, Um, which is, I guess, a way of weeding out that view from from philosophy, but perhaps not the most rational way of doing so. But there are philosophers who kind of have this view. I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes. You can get absolutists. Um, uh, Okay, a really interesting question from the audience is um, about your Aristotelianism, where... um, Okay, you talked about applying that to humans. What about the application of that to non-human animals and, you know, future sentient AI and so on? Very, very good. Um, I, I use the word human flourishing, but in fact,
1: I definitely <laughs> want to use the word flourishing. Um, and in a way, it's—I would say—it's even more applicable to non-human species um, because, um, because actually, that's how Aristotle, sort of, you know, got the idea yeah, from, you know, what is a flourishing? What is it? <laughs> flower that flourishes, you know, mm-hmm. is, is, is doing well. Um, so allowing the in, species, in, in a way, the, you know, the real problem is, is, is applying it to humans, uh, because, because, you know, there we've got these kind of, we've strayed from our evolution, you know, the normative concepts are strayed from the evolutionary value function, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, whereas for animals, you know, if they're not able to, I don't know, you know, an animal that's, that, that, that whose nature, nature is a, is to run around and if they're not able to run around that's not conducive to their flourishing. In terms, terms of um, on the other side um, uh, beyond humans and, and, uh, and other sentient um, artificial, uh, sentient uh, forms of existence, um, that's a, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think it's a tough one, uh, but... Um,
0: uh, yeah, it's kind of a challenge because, um, you know, the whole idea is that there's this, like, nature or design. So would it mean that, like, we design some... You know, and doing, having a good life is fulfilling your purpose. So, 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 so if we design the AI to do a certain thing, is it's good life filling whatever we right? I, it to uh, do? So, so I have this view that,
1: that, um, that ultimately...
0: Our values
1: are, um, uh, you know, things like happiness and you know, and, and, uh, and accomplishments and knowledge. And you know, ultimately, we, we you know we're interested in things like knowledge because we, we, we had an evolutionary bent to, to go towards it. Um, but but now we've made you know now we choose to as you know this is a value for us um, uh, because. Because artificial um, agents may be designed from scratch and may have no um, uh, you know, evolutionary baggage, baggage um, uh, you know is it going to be around it, their reward function or is there something that we're all missing that you know it's all about um, uh, massive information processing and the mm-hmm. more they can you know the more the more or, um, free energy you know just uh, the, uh, islands of negative entropy that they can create the better or something like, you know, we, we don't know. But uh, I think it's a tough question. Yeah, okay. But I actually I do think that the idea of, of there's less of a discontinuity between non-human species and humans with the human flourishing model um, and it could potentially be extended to uh, mm-hmm. the other way. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of uh,
0: interested in that. Yeah, I mean this is just something I hadn't thought about before this minute ago, but you, know, you design a paperclip maximizer, and that's meant to be this like terrible universe. But then, on your view, it seemed like well, it's it's fulfilling its purpose of off the um, but it's a very, paperclips. But yeah. you know
1: that kind of flourishing would be very thin. I mean, very okay. very like, narrow. I mean, you know, it would be you know not, not the kind of rich, complex networks that that uh, um, lived, uh, that, that humans have, for example, mm-hmm. or or even that.
0: Um, other mammals would have, they
1: have very rich, complex, uh, uh, interesting lives.
0: Yeah, okay. I'm glad. Um, okay, a couple of questions about kind of AI and DeepMind. So kind of overall, what do you think about you know, DeepMind's current direction? You're kind of involved in them as a corporate strategist, and, you know, is, is there other things you disagree with in terms of what they're doing? Or, yeah, so if you're allowed to say. So I, I, think,
1: I think actually DeepMind is, is, is an amazing place. Um, and it's a, it's a wonderful um, culture for, for, you know, to, to try to bring about AGI. I think one of the things that, that, that's interesting for this, this audience is that um, AI safety and ethical issues, issues are right at the center, center. of DeepMind. I mean, this is, this is incredible, incredible for um, uh, you know, a corporate, incredible for a corporate, and that's, that's why, why I think um, you know, I mean it's, it's, it's incredible. So right now there's um, a new um, ethics and society group at DeepMind, just to see the impact that um, AI will have on society. Um, DeepMind's also a founding partner of the par- Partnership for AI. Um, but there's a really strong technical um, AI safety group, which I think we heard we heard um, uh, from Victoria. And so, you know, it's in a way, you know, probably one of the most. uh, You know, I think it's it's amazing um, what's happened. Three years ago, we almost three years ago we 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 had Puerto Rico, Uh AI conference in Puerto Rico, and and I was just chatting with someone here to see what a huge difference three years has made. Uh, You know, um, AI safety has gone from kind of a kooky idea, as, as you said it, uh, um, to really, really mainstream where, where you know, many,
0: many of the large corporates,
1: and I think Team Bind is probably, probably leading here, uh, uh, you know, have it as a central place. Um, so, so I feel, I feel pretty good. good, and I think it's a, it's, it's a very interesting area, and, uh, you, you know, there's, there's,
0: a, there's a real sense of responsibility. responsibility. Okay, fantastic. Um, and, yeah, final question then, we learn out of time, um, in terms of uh, AI and flourishing and bringing those two together, like how do you feel like what are the most important things to focus on, do you think in terms of ensuring that A- AI does lead to the, the flourishing of: um,
1: Yeah, i sentient creatures? So, so, so so again, I think that, that my answer wouldn't wouldn't um, differ from, um, differ from uh, the hedonistic utilitarian um, oh. I, I, yeah, because I, I think, think really, that. On the bad side of things, pretty much, yeah, you know, most most views are are, are, are agreed that, uh, for example, human extinction or, or 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 you know, massive technological unemployment or all of these things are, are going to be a problem. Um, I I take the view that, of course, um, uh, we need to get we need to make sure that we don't have any very low probability events like, uh, like a human extinction. That's, you know, um, has a, 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 like an overwhelming moral case. Uh, but but I think that, I mean, that we also need to, to be very clear about how it's gonna impact society, um, jobs, uh, meaning. I mean, it's not just, so, so there's some very interesting things that you know, we, we know that um, People don't, don't just work for income. They work for a sense of meaning. And, um, you know, one of the, the most uh, uh, worrying things is, you know, will there be some sort of temporary dis- destruction of meaning? Will, you know, how, how will society cope with that? So there sh- there's
0: short-term problems and, of course, you
1: know, long-term problems.
0: Okay. Cool. Well, th- um, Let's all put our hands together to thank Shamil for...